When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to the show. It's the all-new Knife Talk, and today is the first episode with all three presenters. So myself is here, Jeff is here. Have mercy, baby. And Marekos here. How's it going, everybody? The three amigos. Well, welcome to Knife Talk. I just want to say real quick, we had a very a lot of nice comments from the listeners from last week's show, and I just want to thank all of them for you know being very supportive to us and writing nice things. It meant a lot. We saw everything, and you know we're trying to work something out here. So you're, I appreciate your oh, we're tr- appreciate your patience while we try to work out some, you know, yeah, m- moderately good entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, at the moment we're three guys in a cupboard. You know, we're in yeah. cupboards with shitty little microphones trying to entertain, <laughs> and hopefully to teach you guys something. You know, yeah, moderately entertaining knife talk. That's that's our new uh, that's our new thing. Yeah. So so what have we been up to this week? What what have you guys been up to? So I had a crazy week. I actually was in uh, last weekend. I was with um, my buddies uh, Cliff Dufton, uh, John Ariane, and uh, J- uh, Jesse Savage and Carrie Savage, and we were a blacksmithing team that we're now called the Modern Forge. And we uh, we did a demonstration uh, for the whole weekend exhibition at uh, Maker's Fair in New York City for ninety thousand people. And we had wow. uh, hydraulic presses there. We had anvils. We had every tool you could need in a blacksmith shop, and we were forging uh, hammers and axes and bottle openers, and we were squishing steel, and I was making knives, and I was, I had a loudspeaker, and I was yelling at people. It was fantastic. <laughs> so we had a ball, and we won, and, and we won seven Editor's Choice Blue Ribbons for nice. our exhibition. Nice. We were pretty pumped. That's right. Very good. Highly decorated. Very good. Highly decorated. I did, <clears throat> I did see your pictures with with uh, Jimmy DeResta there and so on, and you all had your you were like show dogs at Crufts, you know. You all had these little these little ribbons saying how great you are. Yeah, you guys killed it. <laughs> we, it was good because you know we were the only. You know, I've been to this thing before and Maker's Fairs, and don't be offended, listeners, but some of those people are nerds, and it was really it was all. <laughs> It was all 3D printers and drones, and then everything was usually strapped to a snowblower or like a leaf blower. There are like leaf blowers everywhere, and they, and you know I, I, we're gonna have to do a different episode to just talk about it because I got a lot of funny stories. I, I there was a lot of yelling. I had a I had a fallout with some life sized pink uh, R2D2. I yelled at for trying to steal our crowd, 
And oh, he had all sorts of great little, well, you know, got pink R2-D2's got to find their own crowd. <laughs> Don't start banging into ours. So we, we, I, we'll have to do a different story on that. But it was, a, it was an awesome time. Where did you get the power for the press from? They had, they, uh, the people at Maker's Fair are incredible. <clears throat> the staff was amazing. And they talked to Cliff and they said, what do you need? And Cliff says, I need 220. And he had two, they had 220 ready for us. We, they gave us a giant <laughs> tent. They gave us this like center stage. They're going to give us a bigger space next year. We were nice. asked to go to this Maker's Fair in Korea. And that ain't happening. And uh, <laughs> they, we got, we got like hit up by all these people and, well, you want us to come? So you're talking about like four thousand pounds of equipment you got to ship. And yeah. Think all of a sudden things go from you know queens to crazy quick, and you know you got to pay. Yeah. Poor Sunset had a schlep. Sunset Cliff had to schlep a ton of stuff, and it was uh, it was right. intense. But we had a blast. Mm. Well, it sounds like you've had fun, but whereas this week for me has been another week away from the shops, so <laughs> it's been a nightmare. So. Um, you know, as most people know who listen to the show, I've recently moved to France. Um, and, you know, to set up the business here, I had to do a, a five-day accounting course in French. Oh. I don't speak French, but oh. can you imagine how, imagine how boring an oh accounting course oh. is in French when you don't speak the language. So that finished yesterday. So today is my first day back in the shop for almost two weeks. How do you um, manage that without speaking the language? Do you have a translator right there or...? Yeah, an app. Oh, <laughs> an my God. God. I speak I very, very basic French, very basic, en- enough to sort of get by normally. But when they're yeah. talking sort of accounting terms and, you know, that, it's, bo- it's boring enough in English, you know, oh, so my. it's, oh, it was terrible. I can't think of anything worse. Hmm. hmm. But it's been done. It's been done. It's out of my hair. That's it. That's it. Holy cow. Yeah, I can't it's, even imagine. Oh, yeah. Brutal. I apologize. I apologize and... <laughs> terrible so Morocco, you've got yeah. i think you've had a hell of a few weeks you're back uh, yeah yeah mine's not just a week it's been the last few weeks mm. uh i just got back to connecticut uh we're recording on friday so i got back yesterday thursday after or, yeah evening uh it's been three weeks of uh i actually listened to last week's episode and you were calling it uh yeah so i've been calling it the tour de couture i think i'm saying that right Couteau. But essentially, it's like a couteau. couteau. Sorry, so it's a uh, it's a playoff tour de France. But essentially, yeah, tour de couteau, uh, going around talking to people about knives, working with people, doing knife stuff, sharing some of my knowledge, learning from others as well. And um, yeah, so I spent the last two weeks in Hawaii, hanging out with Neil Kamimura, and then uh, the week before that, I was in LA, kind of schlepping around, meeting some great uh, talented chefs, and hanging out with my friend. Uh, William Brigham, who's the the artificery on Instagram, who does some insane stainless Damascus work, and uh, so yeah, it was very um, very informative. Uh, it was a great opportunity to network with people, and uh, especially like in the last two weeks, spending time with Neil. Uh, you know, it's not very often that you can just kind of drop into somebody's world and spend two weeks with them, <laughs> like hmm. nonstop, essentially. How often? And you know, we came out of it you know, great buddies, you know, sometimes people want to tear each other's throats out. Uh, but you know, we had a great time. What were you working on? Were you sort of collaborating on a knife or was it just a sort of teaching exercise? Yeah. So, uh, the main goal for me coming out and spending time with Neil, uh, was for me to help. He's done a little bit of Damascus work himself. Um, but you know, it, it helps so much to have 
somebody, when it, whatever it is you're learning, to have a coach kind of right there next to you who has a lot of experience with it. And so we went through it my way. Um, we did no flux welding. Uh, we used all of his equipment. So, um, you know, after I leave or after I left, you know, he can turn around and reproduce these results on his own. And he actually did a, he did a couple test runs of his own um, before I left. But I just kind of stood back and watched him do his thing, and he killed it. He did great. He picked that up really quick. He also, you know, he does a lot of, uh, you know, he's in Hawaii, so a lot of his book background is with, like, hunting and fishing, and a lot of his friends do that. And so mm. the knives he was building was more of, like, a bushcraft uh, style. Uh, so they have a, a, a bit more of a beefy geometry, a more robust geometry, which uh, we'll probably get talking about a little bit later about how that plays and how well things cut, but he's wanting to learn how to uh, how to do chef's knives. He's made chef's knives, but unfortunately they don't necessarily perform like chef's knives. Mm. And so he and I worked on geometry and essentially me kind of standing over his shoulder and saying, thinner. And he's like, well, how's this? <laughs> and I say, thinner. And just kept pushing it, kept pushing it. And uh, we actually, we just went straight up balls out and... We went, uh, I, the first thing we did when we made the, the Damascus, we spent three days making a mosaic Damascus. We didn't fuck around with, oh, sorry. <laughs> we didn't That's mess fine. around. That's fine. <laughs> we didn't mess around with, uh, you know, some of the kind of more straightforward patterns. Uh, we just went straight to doing mosaics. We spent three days making a mosaic. Uh, he and I kind of took turns going back and forth between heats and, and forging on it and just making sure he was getting a good feel for how the material should move, what kind of temperature it should be at, how, like when to, when to stop. That's kind of sometimes the trickier part. Um, and we came out with a really nice solid chunk of mosaic Damascus that we both ended up forging blades out of. And, uh, we made chef's knives out of them. And so, yeah, so, and and that was, he was actually always, I guess he's been skeptical skeptical about uh, mosaics and how well they kind of hold together. And he was blown away after the last round of welding. You know, we pretty much just treated it like mono steel. He forged it just like mono steel because he wanted to see, like, what could it actually handle. And he beat the shit out of it just like he would with, like, 1084 or 1095 or something like that. Hmm. Forged out great, and it just completely blew his mind. I kind of... Um, you know, reaffirmed to me that <laughs> my process actually works. Uh, and, and so, yeah, he, he's going to be, he's going to be making moves, uh, kind of in the chef's, chef's knife genre, I think. Um, nice. just making, uh, better performing blades. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, yeah. his, I know that based on when the last episode that Craig had him on, that his grandfather was a blacksmith <clears throat> making, if I'm, if I'm right, he's making, uh, sugarcane knives right he was forging sugar yeah cane he knives. was exactly yep that's incredible to have that kind of generational connection yeah i think it i think it was his great grandfather but yeah um it's insane that he he actually and he re-registered his great grandfather's uh like business name so he's actually operating underneath the same name that his great grandfather was using like almost 100 years ago or something that's amazing like that. that's amazing so cool to have that history and it's it's uh, it was really eye opening, you know. It you know going like you did the Maker's Fair, uh, but anytime like going to a hammering or even going to blade show, getting to see some people's work firsthand or working alongside them or just talking shop, like it's it's always it re reignites like the fire inside of me 
Um, but to see him work, to talk to him about his his view of the craft, and just to see how personally driven he is, made me feel like a fucking schlep. Like, oh come <laughs> on, he he is so driven. It, it's super intense, and it's it's definitely his personality just to be that way. Like he's up four o'clock in the morning. He's working until like sometimes six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Um, he's just so driven. He wants to learn and absorb, and he picks things up so quickly. Um, yeah. But that's He's the gonna... true mark of a blacksmith or, some, or someone who really has that passion because, you know, you it, it's a compulsion. When you're a sculptor or when you're a blacksmith or a bladesmith or, or you find something that you love, if you don't have that compulsion, it's like, well, you know, it's fine. But, I mean, those are the guys who really, they work harder than anybody else and they yeah. drive to succeed. And it's really, it's it, it, you can see it. You can totally see it. For now, sure. I, I just I just want to just gloss over one. You glossed over some monster oh, news. Yeah, you did. You yeah. glossed it over. That's fine. I understand. You know, you're back from Hawaii, all, all that your pineapples and moco loco. But you also <laughs> were the first bladesmith to be on the Joe Rogan experience. That's true. Uh, yep. I was on Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, actually, so I landed in L.A. Uh, I left Connecticut, landed in L.A. with two and a half hours of sleep. I went straight to Joe Rogan's studio. And, uh, you know, you walk into the studio. It's it's an amazing space. It's huge. It's probably close to eight or 10,000 square, square foot portion of the building that he has. And essentially, it's a straight-up warehouse. Jeff's cupboard is exactly the same. All right, thing. Exactly. all right, all exactly right, exactly the same. Just let's keep going, keep going. You walk in, you see that if you follow Joe Rogan, his Instagram or anything like that, you see he gets a lot of pictures with his guests in front of this giant werewolf that somebody made him. So you walk in the entry, and it's right there in this kind of two thousand square foot uh, foyer, <laughs> like his foyer to the the warehouse is two thousand square feet, and it's just nothing but the werewolf straight in front of you. Uh, and a giant elk, elk, uh, elk rack, like antler rack, right above the wolf. Um, but then, you know, to the left is a studio. He's got a little kitchenette. He's got a green room. And then on the backside, he's got this huge gym that's more well-equipped than a lot of, like, 24-hour fitness gyms that I've ever seen. Or um, And then he's got a, also a garage and a jujitsu mat and a sauna there. It's like the ultimate man cave. And a wow. pool table. You, if it was a knife maker, you just add a blacksmithing portion or a bladesmithing area, it'd be set. Oh. So I was just wondering, I mean, how does that work? Do you get there, do you just sit in a chair and you just start riffing? Or do you, do you sort of get to know each other and build up some sort of chemistry beforehand? Because everybody just seems so relaxed on his show, you know? Yeah. Um, so I got there. Um, he had just finished, actually, a conversation with a politician from New York. Um, and so I was, I just showed up and he, I think he was doing some archery stuff, um, before I had arrived and he just kind of walked in, said, what's up? Um, I, I had like all my luggage and everything with me. Uh, I also brought some sharpening gear for him. So I want to make sure I unload that and give that to him as well. But, uh, kind of chatted a little bit in the green room, just introduced each other. And then we went pretty much straight into the studio and, um, we did kind of what we did <laughs> here just before we started recording. It's just like I started talking a little bit, and he said, "Stop, yeah. save it for the show," <laughs> and um, and we just started talking. There was there was not there was maybe a total of uh, you know 
20 words exchanged before. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because I know that, you know, you and I talked about it beforehand and we were texting and I, I was, you know, every, you know, most of the people in this community yeah. were so proud for you and excited to hear you. And it was like, you know, it was one, it was exciting for all of us. And it was like a victory for all of us because we were all like, one of our guys is on that show that we all listen to. And it was really like hmm. this, it yeah. was really like well, this I'm amazing glad. experience. And I felt like. I felt I got me- I was getting messages all day. When's he going on? When's he going on? When's he going on? I'm like, I don't know. He's in, he's texting. He's in Minneapolis, and he's I have no idea. And I was where everyone's following you around. I'm getting these messages. One time we want to watch. Everybody wanted to watch it live, and it was just one right. of these great. Ex- you know, we all. Yeah, it yeah. was like you were there for you were there with with everybody on your back. You know, we were all. Your, your your whole community was totally. behind you a thousand percent, and that was really, it was a special thing. It was a special thing, and I just have one quick question. And I know I know you were nervous. You had to have been nervous. Yes. And that's you don't have to ask that question. <laughs> but in the beginning, I was watching and I was working on some things. And I was watching live, and I just felt like he said, "You guys started talking about Dungeons and Dragons dice." And then all of a sudden, it was the first 10 minutes in, he goes, you're a nerd, aren't you? And all I could think of is, why, why, he's already nervous, why are you blowing him up right now? Did you, did that (laughs) rattle you a little bit? No, not at all. I was like, yeah, I I don't know. I have, I've always had a weird collection of uh, knowledge and and information that doesn't necessarily bring any value to me. I just... Know a lot of weird shit, and that was one of those things no, that I course, picked up I mean, along when the way. He said that. Did you like? And when I <laughs> when I corrected yeah, him right there in the middle of the show, oh, actually they're like value holders and stuff. He's like, oh, you know what these right. are? You're yeah. a fucking nerd. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm no nerd about some shit, but yeah, I it was interesting going in that podcast. I definitely thought about the fact that um, that essentially I was going to be the first representative of this craft and generally speaking like mm. blacksmithing and craftsman work in general uh one of the first i think he's actually had a couple other crafts people not like knife makers or others on the show before not knife makers no and so um it, it actually kind of reminded me of the first time i was on forge and fire like i all i kept thinking in my head is like i have to do right by everybody else i'm kind of like representing and pro- by proxy you know, uh, and so I went in and just tried to do the best I could to answer any questions he had in as concise and simple of a way and mm-hmm. try, tried to just go with the flow. Because, you know, he I, the biggest thing I was nervous about is just not being able to carry the conversation. But I realized, like, that's that's not my job. It's That's actually his job. And he, and he does a great job of carrying conversation, asking interesting questions, and just keeping the, the conversation going. So once I realized I need to, I can just let go of that, all I had to do was answer questions. Yeah. Like, I was well, good. you did a great, great job. job. Great job, yeah, definitely. So have you found that Thank things you. have changed for you since? I mean, are you getting more inquiries? Is, you know, is the, is the phone off the Definitely hook? more inquiries. Uh, fortunately, no, because nobody really knows how to get a hold of me by phone. Um, but, but uh, I prefer emails anyways, just cause it's easier to keep everything organized. But I ha- like, I, I had, I think over 200 new DMS in my Instagram. Yeah. I, I fortunately people don't know how to get a hold of me, um, by phone. Um, otherwise my phone probably would be going ringing off the hook. I do have a business number, but, um, 
but fortunately, it's been a lot through email and DMs on Instagram and me like re uh, redirecting people back to my email. Um, but yeah, I got like, I think about 10 or 15,000 new followers in the first week. Um, and I think it's grown by about 30,000 followers the wow. last three weeks. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel... It's weird because I I almost kind of have this like sense of like imposter syndrome. Like, why the fuck? Like, why is it me that this is all happening to? Um, but at the same time, I'm just trying to continue to do good work and trying to represent the craft well and and everybody else that goes along with it. Yeah. So, are your are your books currently open? Are you are you taking advantage of this now? Yeah. So I had <laughs> I didn't think that part through, and so I just had closed my books at the end of August and then I realized oh shit after I go on Joe Rogan I'm going to have a bunch of new people inquiring and we did um and so um but just before I went on the show I was like uh, I think mm, I need to reopen yeah. the books <laughs> so we opened them through the end of September but right now I'm like backlog 3 years so I'm just taking in the last few uh inquire in- inquiries and um at the end of this month and it's closing down. Um, but it's an interesting numbers game to see how many people hear, how many people reach out, um, and then how many people actually end up following through. And it's such a tiny percentage. I think the the podcast, or sorry, like the video version on YouTube of the podcast with Joe uh, got has garnered like 500,000 views, uh, but I have like 10 wow. new inquiries, or sorry, 10 new orders. And I've, I probably had like 100 new inquiries. So hmm. it's just an interesting. All right, last question. Yeah. This is the question everyone wants to know. Oh. And that's what everybody wants right. to know, baby. Let's hear it. You smoke on you, you smoke on that you smoke on that joy boy? No. <laughs> you smoke on that joint boy? I didn't. So Do you have a little bit of puff puff? No. Come on, baby. Answer the question. You get a little puff puff? No, I definitely drank a few beers though. And it was by by around mm-hmm. the third beer and about forty five minutes in, I finally started to relax. Uh, not be so nervous, but no, fortunately, <laughs> I would not be operational if I had smoked any weed at all. Um, that was a good move, strong move. Yeah, leave that to Elon. Yeah, strong right. Move. Well, yeah. and I think oh, so. Christ. Joe had a, a comedy show that night, and so I think he was also um, kind of making sure because he was driving his sweet little Porsche over there. I don't think he wants to be driving under the influence. So, um, you know, he and I hung out, no weed. Just chat, chatted, and that was it. Sadly, he had to cut it short. He's got a big comedy special, hasn't he, coming up on Netflix? I think next week it's being Is released. Is it being released next week? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I've heard yes, him talking yeah. about it, yeah. And you were that warm-up act for old Elon Musk. Right. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a good interview, but mm, lost a lot of, yeah. lost a lot of juice. Yeah, it's an, it was, I heard that podcast. It, it's interesting to listen to him talk and just his cadence. But if you think about it, I mean, he's got a lot on his shoulders. Like, he kind of has to be careful about how he says stuff. You can't be Jeff Fader running really? around like a chicken with his head cut off, screaming at people right. well, and I'm, pink R2-D2s. Cool. Is, I'm fucking controlled. <laughs> I think that you. this is a measured tone. I, I, I think this is all calculated. Yeah. I'm not chicken with a head cut off. I'm just, I ain't smoking weed on Joe Rogan, that's for sure. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> But but given the opportunity, oh I will. I will. I'll fucking yeah. No problem. We'll puff puff, baby. Come on. 
<laughs> so what what's the current projects what we could we all currently working on cubans yeah i was uh i was uh i was doing an update for my customers i did a video update for my customers and i uh i've been grind i finished the heat treatment uh last week and i started grinding everything last week and then this week i was doing uh grinding thinning everything down and getting and cu- cutting in the clips and you know just hard hard work it's a lot of hard work that's fine what about you, Mareko? What what's what's on the uh, on the bench this yeah, week? Yeah, for me, back to I work? got I have some wedding uh, bands I need to finish up. Uh, I have a, a stainless steel Woots knife that I'm working on. Mm. Uh, steel made by my shopmate, uh, talented shopmate, Mr. Peter Swarsbert. Um and, and it's a forged integral. It's all out of Koa. It's got actually the Koa handle and the Koa Saya. We're all from the same block of wood, so there's going to be an wow. interesting game of making the grain match up as best as I can, so that the grain from the handle flows out into the saya. Should be an interesting, uh, interesting build. It's always oh, new challenges. Nice. I think I know how I'm going to do it. I just, but I've just never done it before um, as, uh, with such tight tolerances like this. Because essentially, you got the saw curve, and that's about it to play with. And otherwise. Um, yeah, you just got to get everything to match up nicely. So I'm going to be on some chef knives. So since I started this whole steak knife project that I was doing, um, that's all I've had to sell for the last, well, probably six months now. Um, so I've been working on some chef knives. I don't even have a chef knife of my own here in the house at the moment. So I'm using one of the, well, actually one of Florentine's knives, uh, Toma's um, chef knives. Love that guy. Um yeah, uh, I mean, I've, I know that you've seen it, but that video that's, you know, that he's just done that documentary. I just heard about it great. myself wow. through Jeff's stories. Good little, he had the swipe good little, up. Good little, good little doc. Good little doc. It's so beautiful. The shop that he's got, it's incredible. But yeah, I've, I'm basically, I've been using one of his knives for the last six months, um, um, you know, which I bought a while back. Um, but I don't even have one of my own chef knives. I need to, I need to get some chef knives sure. sorted, um, especially ready for Christmas orders, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, trying to get geared up for holiday season. Yes, yeah. So I'll put out 20 spots. I'm only going to do 20 spots for, mm. you know, for pre-Christmas delivery. Right. Um, about half of them have gone now. Um, but yeah, they're all. I think they're all going to be chef knives, but it looks so far anyway. Nice. It's what people want, you know? If you can have one knife, you have a chef knife. Yeah, good on you. So last week, we started something. We started... Uh, Jeff went into a deep dive, didn't didn't you, Jeff, about uh, spheroid... Can't even say the word. Yeah, spheroidization. Right. Is that what it is? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I'm not even gonna say it. That's right. <laughs> I was just gonna notice you weren't even gonna try <laughs> spheroidization. That's right. That's it. Boom. It was a deep dive, anyway. So Jeff did this big investigation, and he, you know, he come out. He come out with the goods. So we thought we'd try something new. So this week we're introducing. That's, that's horrible. That's I love horrible. It. That's an insult. That's an insult. It's an outrage and an insult. Jingles. This is what I'm. This is what it comes down to. I'm sitting in a closet listening to goddamn jingles. All right. Well, that's how I'm excited. It's, it's got me excited. Well, then you know you have very low thresholds for excitement yes. because that, you know I hope they're not more. I'm sure there are. So what have you been investigating, Jeff? Well, what, what's what's been there? Uh your thing this week well you know it's interesting because there's started on two things so um you sent us a message saying that you'd signed up for a blacksmithing class and we're we're very 
pumped for you and it was it was great and I think that it's a great experience and I'm a huge fan. I've been a blacksmith for a long time. I used to work at Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, which was the business which was the fabrication end of Center for Metal Arts. I you know, I was a professional blacksmith and I love it. I love everything about it. And you said, Well what hammer should I buy? And and um what I said was uh I wouldn't don't buy anything. Because what usually what happens is is you buy something because you're excited to buy this tool, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's something. The first one you buy is never the one you're really going to use. And I said probably whatever they have at the class is probably what's best to use. And the interesting thing was was that it coincided with me going on a maker fair, and I had to pack a bag to get on the train to go to Queens, and I just you know I was bringing all the tongs I could use to make whatever forging knives and I brought piles of tongs and I cut piles of steel and make knives and then I was just like well how many hammers should I bring so I pulled out all the hammers that I use and I was like well this is bag is too heavy I'm only going to bring one hammer and I looked at my hammer rack and I thought you have one hammer to bring for two days and 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 so so what I did was I thought well this is a kind of interesting so what would I use? And then I, I uh, picked the hammer that I learned on, which is a Hoffy hammer. And um, it was the right decision, and it was the knife that I used the entire weekend, two full days, felt great, and blah, blah, blah. So after you know, listening to what you said, and then based on my experience, what I thought was I'd reach out to some blacksmiths and you know see what if they could pick one hammer to use what would it be and i'm totally overwhelmed by i reached out to a lot of people like 12 blacksmiths and bladesmiths and these are all these people are people that i respect these are people that i know these are people that i've who have been my teachers who i've you know bought hammers from whatever these are all every single one on this list is incredible but the real thing is is they all answered me within a couple of hours of me sending this email. And that's this community, the blacksmithing community, the bladesmithing community, whatever. It's terrific. And these are all people, young, some are young, some are old, some have a certain amount of experience. And But one thing for sure, every single one of them reached out and they gave me an awesome answer. Some of them are quick and some of them are long. But basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to just kind of talk about hammers a little bit, but talk about what these guys, the kind of hammers that these guys use and then some of the attributes. So when, you know, if you're a young guy getting into bladesmithing or you're blacksmithing and you're looking into buying knives, these are kind of the questions. These are the kind of knives that maybe yeah. you should think about. Cool. Perfect for me. Perfect for me. Just about to start a blacksmithing course. Need a hammer. You've done the work for me. This is great. Well, you know, if you if you are when I start reading off who these people are, you're getting you're getting, you know, you're getting the best of the best here. So, when I, and I'm going to try to read off some of them quick. I, don't, I know this thing's, I don't want this thing, to, and feel free to kind of pipe in when you have the chance if you have I questions in regards hear. to that. Yeah. So, so the first guys I, I, I talked to were my boys at uh, Modern Forge, The Modern Forge on Instagram, uh, Sunset Forge, New Jersey, Jesse Savage Blacksmith, and Cliff Dufton, CJ Dufton. On, those are really awesome blacksmiths. Um, and they're blacksmiths, they're not bladesmiths. So, and we're going to have to talk about the difference between that. So the sunset, uh, John Ariani told me that he his one. So it's like the the question is is what you, if you're on a desert desert island and you have only one hammer, you can only use one hammer. What would it be? So sunset said he'd like a three and a half pound rounding hammer. Jesse said he would do a two and a half pound cross peen, and and Cliff said he would say two and a half to three pound cross peen. So those were all pretty you know pretty standard. You know the difference between a rounding hammer and a cross peen. We're, we're, I'll get to that. A little bit on the later side. So then I reached out to uh, 
Lin Ray, Master Bladesmith. He's he's L W R H E A on Instagram. He's actually a um, he's an incredible bladesmith because he's kind of redesigned the concept of the blacksmith knife, where you're not really putting on a handle. What you're doing is you're forging the reins down, the rein down, and then you're kind of riveting it back. You're twirling around and riveting. If you go to, you know, what it's self-handled, self-handled self blacksmith. Perfect. Knife. But his connection. The connection that he makes is perfect. And, and this is what he wrote. And he was very specific. I prefer a two and a quarter pound cross peen, the old 1800 to 1850s pattern. It's important to me the handle length and the shape. I make my own from kiln dried hickory. Mine are a couple inches longer than a modern hardware handle and slightly slimmer than hardware store handles. Now, this is super cool because what it tells you, and when you look at what people kind of hammers you're using, they're using, you can kind of read it like a book in terms of um, the kind of what kind of how they swing. So if he's got a two and a quarter pound hammer, that's generally on the lighter side of hammers. You know, Sunset was going to a three and a half pounds rounding hammer, and a longer handle that means that you're you're having quicker, smaller hits with a little bit more velocity. So so mm. for making knives, especially you know drawing out those taper, uh, drawing out the bevels. You don't need a big monster hammer. You're looking for a little bit more kind of lighter, smaller, faster um, uh, uh, swings, right? So then I talked to uh, Fred Christ, who is a hero of mine. Fred Christ was the blacksmith. Uh, He ran the Samuel Yellen shop for 11 years. He is considered one of the best American blacksmiths. He's also a um, contemporary sculptor. And he, I, learned, I took a class from him, and he just, he's an astounding blacksmith. And what he said was, Jeff, I don't have a scale. I guess it's around two pounds, but it was made by me. It's an angled cross peen with a square face, long handle. It's one of those tools that you make, and it just feels right to work with all day. I made it 20 years ago. Uh, I mean, I made it 20 years ago. So... So when I I know his hammer and I saw his hammer, so the, the his style of hammer is very similar to a Swedish style where the face kind of flares out a little bit and and the interesting so that so it's not too far off from what uh, Lynn's using, which is his his hammer is kind of similar to like that a German style where it's a longer face, it's a smaller face, but the Swedish style kind of flares out at the at the face. Now the interesting okay. thing is is that he said an angled peen. Now, you have to see the the back side of a hammer or the peen side of the hammer as the fuller. That's the fuller. That's the thing that's going to move the material. So, you know, the, the face is usually a little bit on the bigger side, and then you have these angled, you have different sized fullers. So a cross peen, the fuller is side to side. A straight peen, the fuller is, is going up and down. And a diagonal peen is 45 degrees. Now, this is the reason why these peens are important, and I'm going to stop saying peens, and I'm going to start saying peens. <laughs> stop giggling. Stop giggling. It's so, a peen, it, though. That's what the fuck it is. It's a peen. I know, but it's you know what? It's really not, though. It's more like they call it a peen, but it's really a fuller because a fuller. So so if you think if all you young guys, if you what blacksmithing is, is you're moving material. And if you were to take a piece of, pl- of clay and you squeezed it between your hands, a flat, you know, between your hands, it's hard. But if you use your fingers and pinch smaller bits, it's a more aggressive way to move the material faster. So when you're using fullers or the peen, you're actually taking smaller bites and you're actually moving a little material a little bit more aggressively. So if you have a, a diagonal peen, the cool thing is, is the 45 degrees allows you to, you're just holding it in different positions. Like the way you're managing hands holding the steel on the anvil, 
you're hitting it in a way where you're having a little bit more comfort in regards to where you're forging that material. So I, when I first saw a diagonal peen, I thought it was crazy, but then I used one. I was just like, all right, I get it. All right. So let's can just add, keep going. Can I add yes, another note ahead. about peens? Go ahead. So, so you, <laughs> I'm, laugh I'm with you, I'm with you. Go ahead. Or, we talk about the peen. Fuller. Come on, baby. Or the, <laughs> or the fuller end peen, of the baby. hammer. Uh, anyways. Uh, so you said side to side and up, up and down. So in right. relation to the handle, that means uh, it's perpendicular. The the cross peen is perpendicular to the handle to the, right. the alignment of the handle, and the straight peen is in line with the handle. Right. And then and then of course the angle is forty five degree, depending on right hand or left hand, um, one Perfecto. way or the other. Yeah. Perfecto. So, That's but it. I mean, you know, those kind of cross peens and straight peens, it's it's the direction is based on how you're holding it. So it's, it isn't really right. like. So we're going to get into that a little bit more, but I'm going to just keep going because I want to get this thing bowling. So then I reached out to Nick Anger. Nick Anger, right off the bat, goes two-pound cross peen. So I, and I think that he's – most of the, not, his hammers are uh, from um, the Center for Metal Arts. Uh, Pat Quinn, I think, makes most of his hammers. So now we're getting into something interesting. I contacted my friend Matt Paul of MP Knives, and he's a guy that you guys should really follow. He's an incredible bladesmith in New York. Matt Paul is awesome. And what he got very specific, he says that he likes a two and three quarters to three and a quarter cross peen with a 16-inch handle. He says, I like a subtle octagon shape on the face, slightly rounded to the the face or the crown. Um, Three-sixteenths to a quarter radius on the edges. Now, I'm going to get to what that is in a second. And then I like a a three-eighths or half-inch wide fuller or a peen. I know it's specific, but it's weird. So, now, the reason why he likes a radius is on the outside of the face. When you have a hammer, a forging hammer in general, you don't want a very flat, a super flat face like a rock hammer because you want it a little crowned because what you're doing is you're really, it is similar to a rounding hammer, but it's not as, it's not as aggressive as a rounding hammer. So you want it a little bit, so your energy is in the middle, your middle hit. Now, if you have, if you have your, if you have your, the sides or the edges dressed or chased, you won't be leaving marks on your material if you accidentally hit it at an angle. So like if you have a very square face, not a hand um, face, you don't want to be leaving choppy marks. So what these guys yeah. do is when you buy, even if you buy a hammer from a website, you're going to want to dress the face so the edges aren't too aggressive. You don't want them crispy. You want them kind of rounded so you're not, you know, making indentations. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Yeah. Perfect now, how would you do that? We just put just put a file to that. And well, no, grinder chamf- with a grinder. Chamfer off those edges. You yeah. just take a, you put it. You take your hand, your knife, your oh god damn it. The, you take your hammer uh, to the grinder, and then you just kind of round everything off. And then, you know, a lot of these hammer makers they like to uh, put a mirror polish on the on the face, and that's just a sell, and just, it's not necessary. I think that you just need to make sure that there are no big dents in your hammer. What you don't want are big dents because every time you have a dent in your hammer or a nick or, or crack. You're going to embed that nick or crack in your hammer into whatever you're hitting, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm almost there. I'm almost there. We got a lot. Of, everyone, everyone jumped on, and th- some of this list is, you know, this list is great because it's great people. I, I wish I had more, but we only have a certain amount of time. This is only a half an hour podcast, right? Ha ha ha. 
So <laughs> yeah, right. then I reached uh, John Ledford. John Ledford was the blacksmith that I worked under at the Center for Metal Arts, Fine Architectural Metalsmiths. He's the guy who taught me to be a uh, working blacksmith. So we were doing a lot of iron work, a lot of railings. We were doing real, like, working blacksmith stuff, not shoeing horses. We were making rails and stuff. So he likes a three-pound cross-peen, and he was very important that it was a, that the face, the crown, the face of the of – the, um, hammer was a 12 inch radius so he was me- he's measuring that di- he wants it very specific um, he likes a thicker uh, uh, fuller so it was like 7 ish and he wants it the handle to be around 11 and 3 quarters so the radius of the face concentrates the force to the center of the hammer giving you blows that move the metal instead of leaving marks so that's what we said before so now we're we're here we're coming towards the end. I reached out to our boy Alex Steele. Alex Steele reached out and he says that he likes a three and a half pound rounding hammer. He comes from that uh, he comes from that Brian Brazil school and they like the rounding hammer. Um, good good on you, my, my man. Oh, then <clears throat> now we're getting to the end of it. I know, I know, it's nice. just crazy this <laughs> list. So then I reached out and I can't believe it, Brent Bailey. Brent Bailey, incredible hammer maker, uh, reached out and he says, I'm partial to a standard four and a half pounds. Uh, I prefer a, uh, a cross peen, a four and a half pound cross peen. I prefer a square face. Although I don't use the peen much, I like the balance. So, mm-hmm. last two. But then I'm going to ask you, Mareko. So oh, yeah. I reached out to my boy, well, my boy, my more like my grandfather, uh, Uri Hoffi, who's a, a, the, the builder of the Hoffi hammer, which is a hammer that has its roots in the Czech style hammer. He was an old teacher of mine. He and I have been friends for a while. And he goes, and I'm going to, he, he writes me in all caps. So he's like, he's yelling because that's what he normally does. He goes, <laughs> thank you, Jeff. I'm going to, so I'm going to speak it the way he would speak it. And he also writes, he types in broken English, which I love. Thank you, Jeff. The hammer in the photo is the cast hammer that, for me, is the most balanced hammer. This is the one I forge with, too. All my other hammers are balanced, too, but the cast, I could design and arrange the form in the utmost balance. Thank you and never stop. So he likes a three-pound Hoffy hammer. He mm. likes his cast ones that he had cast uh, in 2001 better than the forged ones. It's just a little bit more balanced. And then he said... I'm collecting some more jokes for you, but some of them are nasty. And he, he's been, he's been, I had this relationship with Hoffy. I was his student for a long time, and then I was his assistant when he was teaching at the Center of Mental Arts. And he would tell me these, he's, he's been texting me these horrendous jokes that I can't even repeat for years. It's, it's like, it's out of control. He, he loves sending me these horrendous jokes. Now that, that like needs that thing. needs to be a feature each week. Yeah. Hoffy's horrendous humor. Oh my god! Here's the problem. Here's the problem. It, 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 these are these are not, and these are definitely not suitable for human consumption. These these are brutal. <laughs> these are brutal. There's a lot of penis jokes, and it's it's just you know it's fine. I, I he love I love him. I keep him coming. He's eight, he just turned eighty three. He knocked me out a uh, you know a cross peen on one of his hammers three weeks out of being in the hospital he's a dynamite he's an important part of the blacksmith community for sure so this is interesting i got a hold of jake ferrum and i'm gonna leave it alone i got a hold of jake ferrum ferrum forge makes amazing hammers he said this and this was fascinating to me he says i'm a rounding a rounding hammer any day of the week it is by far the most versatile hammer for general forging I'm in complete agreement with what Brian Brazil says about them. Using uh, using angled hammer blows on a flat face 
yields you the same as a cross peen or a straight peen. Granted, you can't reach into nooks and crannies like a straight peen or a cross peen. It has far as uh, far as movement of steel goes. It works the same. It's the Swiss Army knife of hammers. I'd have a three pound rounding hammer. And then he wrote this, which was interesting. I should mention that I like partner, partnering up the radii of the rounding face uh, with the horn of my anvil. So, you know, this is the interesting part is, you know, when he's talking about this particular hammer, I know he makes some of the best hammers around. He likes a rounding hammer on one side, and I know he makes it with a kind of like an octagon side. The other side is octagon. So when he's saying hitting with an angle, what you're doing is you're not hitting it square in the face. You're using the angle of your hammer as like a fuller itself. And then what he does is he really trying to make sure that the radius of the crown of his, the face of his rounding hammer is the same as the, of the roundness of the, the same radius as his horn of his angle of, of his anvil. So he can push material out. He can really kind of really use, um, he can use them in accordance in there. You're getting the same, you're getting the same effect on both sides. Hmm. So, so just so I'm clear, a, a rounding hammer has two faces, but they're not both rounded, right? One's rounded right. and one's flat. Is one's one's well all all these hammers have a slight have a slight roundness to them. You don't want something that's sure. super super flat. Perfectly flat. Yeah. So the rounding hammers are generally speaking one side's a little bit more pronounced. It's not like a ball peen, but it's like right. a, it's like a little bit more pronounced, and then the other side is a little bit more for flattening because you can't if you're finish you're doing your planishing blows, you're doing your blows that kind of clean everything up. You can't use a you can't use a rounding hammer for that. So it's one side is just a little bit crowned like a regular hammer, and the other side is a little bit more pronounced. So you're moving that material outward from the blow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that was long, and I was just I, – I, this is, these are some of the Jesus. best in the world. Yeah, it is Jesus. You're right. I, I, all of a sudden, I'm looking at my own clock. I'm starting to sweat. I'm like, i got to go through this list. This is unbelievable. But So one of the things that I will say about the, all these guys, they all do different things. A bladesmith and a blacksmith are forging differently. I didn't talk to anybody who has those Japanese dog head hammers. I just didn't really – it really – my background is a little bit more blacksmithing, but it is interesting because if you really look into how people use their hammers and what they're using them for, how they feel most comfortable, it becomes something that you have to get comfortable with in regards to how you use them. And with that yeah. said, I think we need to finish with the great Moreko Momasi. What kind of <laughs> hammer do you use? Uh, so the hammer I use is actually kind of by default. It was a hammer that was given to me by David Lish, who's a blacksmith slash bladesmith from Seattle, uh, in Washington. And, uh, so it was handed down. Uh, it's a five pound French cross peen, also known as a blacks or sorry, a locksmith hammer. Uh, right. Cause it's got this little shelf. And so the, I, I was reading up on it and the idea is that, uh, instead of it being angled from the top of the hammer and from the bottom straight meeting in the middle it's got a little shelf and that's so you can hammer up right against the wall of the box of a lock uh and i'm talking about a traditional like blacksmith kind of lock um that you would see you see some of these guys on instagram building uh but anyways i i actually i i have a gentle radius on mine i just use the slack uh like with a coarse belt to, yeah. to establish the radius and then clean it up further but just on a slack between my, you know, top and bottom wheel. Um, it is. It actually has a quarter-sized flat area right in the middle of it, 
Um, so if I want to do several planishing blows uh, across the blade, um, I can get all kinds of nice little flat areas, just gentle ones. But the reason I work with such a large hammer is because uh, most of my work is actually being done under a press or, or under a or power hammer, a pneumatic hammer. And so I'm using my hammer to uh, kind of dress and tune the profile. I do do some uh, bevel forging, but not a lot. And it's but the cross peen is great for centering up the blade to the integral bolster as well as the tang to the integral bolster. Uh, I use that for centering everything up uh, when I'm doing the last bits of tuning. And yeah, and oh, on on the the corners or the edges of the the hammering face, uh, I do dress. I did dress that with a slight radius of about uh, an eighth of an inch radius, so an overall oh. quarter inch. Uh, diameter but uh, you know again I'm not hitting with the edges it's just in case I happen to hit uh, a little bit with the face turned and I catch an edge it's not leaving right. a super sharp mm. angle in there uh, it's enough that I can clean it back up and dress it back out using the face well that's the always the key that's always the key for dressing a hammer so you don't if you, it's so you don't you know accidentally miss hit and put a big ding in your hammer one yeah. thing that I was interested in and, and um, is I started and actually Hoffy he sent me a, a, a forge hammer that he made and then he sent me a, a rounding hammer and he just wrote to me he says try this rounding hammer off a lot of knifers he calls them he calls knife makers knifers he says <laughs> a lot of knifers like to use a rounding hammer and I actually used a rounding hammer to kind of pull the heel back a little bit sure. and I felt like I felt like I had a little bit more I was moving the material a lot easier with the rounding hammer to the with the heel as opposed to using uh i thought that sometimes i was you know with the the type of cross peen i was using i was leaving a little bit too it was too gougy so the, i was sure. i was interested that i was i liked using the the rounding hammer for pulling the heel of the knife back that was a huge that was a huge thing for me and that that's really what it comes down to is especially when craig you take this class it's going to be you're going to use the hammer that they give you and then you're going to be able to kind of make the decision on how you mm -hmm. forge in general i'll tell yeah. you yeah another note on my hammer a couple notes actually really quick on the on the cross on my cross peen along the length of the peen don't laugh uh it is actually i actually also radius that just slightly so it has um yeah just a slight radius so it's not perfectly flat across the length of the peen and that also is for just in case you know you catch a bad corner and then the corners yeah. the edges of it are also rounded uh and then uh matthew paul was talking about how he's uh or actually i don't know if anybody has said this but i was turned on to the idea of squaring off actually the faces of my handle so when i got it it was uh you know the cross section was actually like ovular an oval shape hmm. and i was uh, informed that I might think about trying to uh, flatten, uh, you know, essentially the sides and the faces of it, not all the way to perfectly square, but just a little bit, have some flat. And the way it indexes in my hand now, I feel like I have so much more control over it than when it was perfect or, you know, perfectly ovular. Uh, it doesn't feel like it slips as much at all. Actually, You're at all right. anymore. And it feels like I don't have to think, I don't have to fight it to keep it in my hand anymore. And that has been a huge game changer for me in my forging is, is having those faceted essentially faces. I'll, I'll have to take a picture and I'll put it up on Instagram. 
Well, that you know, oh. the first time I ever saw that was Fred Christ was teaching a class, and he had his hammer, and he had put an octagon. He had cut uh, like an octagon shape in the profile of his handle and I was just like what the fuck is that guy doing and I took a look and I, I tried it and that's the whole that is something and a lot of guys do that now like I know that when Pat makes his hammers he has an octagon John Ariane and Cliff they make hammers they usually have an, a little bit of octagon and it does it it, it it takes a lot of stress out of your wrist because you're not gripping it as hard to make sure it doesn't slip in your hand exactly and that's something that's giant so what I actually did was you don't have it doesn't have to be crispy crisp octagons but just no. slight i i just kind of put some flats flats uh in my in the sides and in the, in the backs and then i rounded them just a little bit so they wouldn't be so kind of rough in my hands and that just even a subtle slight octagon in your handles it gives you it it's a lot more ergonomic because you're not fighting the, your wrist as much yeah you're not mm-hmm. fighting the grip you gotta right, grip right. that peen, baby. You gotta grip. Oh, we're done with this, baby. <laughs> Jeff investigates we're gripping that, that. peen, baby. Get that peen. <laughs> Come on, baby. Well, Jeff, cheers. Well, you, yeah, I, this was it's a simple question, and you you've investigated the hell out of I'm that ne- one. The Latin next week's investigation is gonna be very. It's gonna be one. It's gonna be like, yep, that's it. Investigated. Cool. Cool. Can so. I just add one quick thing while you figure? If if you're if you're really gonna if you're saying you know what I hear what he's saying, I want to buy a hammer. The, mm. the two important things are, and no, no, it doesn't really matter who, most, the prices of forging hammers, and I'm not going to tell you where to go, you can go, you can buy hammers that are pre-made, or you can go contact some of these guys, and they make, the prices for hand-forged knives, uh, hand-forged hammers are not that far off from a, you know, a decent-priced hammer that you would buy at a store. If you decide that you're going to buy a hammer, when you go to one of these blacksmith places online, Get yourself a hammer, and the most important part is dress the faces of the hammer. Dress the faces. That's like giant. Don't start f- forging. Make sure that you got a little bit of a crown in the face. Make sure you make sure that there's no sharp edges on the peen and on the on the on the face. And you know, work on that handle a little bit. Give yourself a little. Put a little. Put a little octagon in that handle just to make sure you feel comfortable swinging it. And then, you know, if you got to do it, that's what you do. But I will say, most of these guys who do make hammers. The prices are not crazy. You're not. You're. They're not. They're very reasonable, and and I would definitely buy a hammer from any of those hammer well, makers. That I and especially when you think of how long that hammer is going to last. You know, even if it was two hundred dollars for a hammer, the fucking thing's going to last outlive you. So that, that is the pretty much the going rate for a lot. Like a, a two hundred, a, a two to three pound hammer from a forge guy is going to be around two hundred dollars, and that's not crazy. Like if you buy one off the, you know, from a website, it's going to be around a hundred bucks. But if you go from a guy who makes them, you know, it ain't crazy. It's worth it. Yeah. yeah. Th- and would you would you get them pre-dressed then? Or no, would you no, no. Dress you them can't to trust your anybody. Requirements. You can't trust anybody. You, you gotta like. I've never. I've gotten. I used to get some. I got some petting houses from somewhere. And I, the first thing I did was I just dressed the corners and just kind of I kind of made the handle just a little bit more. I took that slick whatever that stuff is they put on it, and I kind of just made it a little bit more. I customized it a little bit, and you know mm. you start to realize what you like and what you don't like, and it's definitely yeah. worth it. Cool, cool. Okay, but that that leads us on really nicely. So Mareka was talking about um, handles and putting a bit of an edge on them, so you know good for indexing that kind of thing but we've had lots of questions in the forum about people asking 
about handles and knives, you know, and how you sculpt your handles and that kind of thing. Mm. There's, I mean, there's lots of lots of really great answers there, but I, I'm going to take one question, which is on a similar sort of vein, which is how does the physical attributes of a knife translate into the performance and the function? So what do you guys think? Uh, I'll start this one off. Uh, so I actually get a lot of people, you know, you look around on other forums like kitchen knife forums or something like that and just talking with other people and you you see all kinds of stuff on Instagram and uh, there are you know uh, there are two basic camps and it's like thin to win on one side and then you have kind of the, the more robust stuff on uh sorry thin to win on the Japanese side and then um you know the ro- more robust stuff on the European style, side, especially like mm. German manufacturer chefs' knives and stuff like that. Even the French uh, stainless. And the reality to me is like the steel kind of informs what the edge is actually capable of doing, in a way. And um, it, one of the things when I was working with Neil this last couple of weeks, he, you know, one of the first questions he was asking was, was about geometry. Like, what what do you got to do? Does it have to be super thin in the spine? Is it have blah 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 blah? And I was like, you know, I've found that for me and my, like, I come from a production background working in restaurants and I didn't work in anything fancy, but, you know, I definitely stood behind a knife prepping for hours on end for close to eight years. And for me, I needed a knife that took an edge, kept the edge and cut through food easily. And Mm. so I think that um, when it comes to geometry, the most important uh, portion is what's happening from the edge to about an inch above the edge um and then from there it can kind of it can almost kind of do whatever it wants from within or within reason and just just to start um or to give a couple of quick examples so my knives are actually they start at uh, about 130 thousandths 140 thousandths which is just barely over an inch or eighth of an inch um, and then it tapers down pretty dramatically. Um, so I would consider my knives definitely on the thinner side, uh, and they cut great. But then you look at Don Wynn's knives, and they're almost on the complete other side of the spectrum, where they're almost close to, they're, they're probably just under a quarter of an inch, um, and then they taper down nicely. But the edge geometry, what's happening from that edge to about an inch above the edge, is where all the magic happens, and his knives cut beautifully. He he's definitely, I would say, he's definitely top five, and most likely actually top three people whose knives I would love to have. But mm. if you looked at when looked you, at them on a geometry spectrum, his his knives are almost completely opposite from mine. Would you say the first? You're so when you're talking about that first inch, you're kind of also hinting at the whole. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people use an S grind, because the S grind gives you that food release but it's really kind of you don't really need to fool around too much because you're dealing with that inch yeah and again it comes down to how like what the knife is trying to do like my i do i use the s grind because a lot of people i'm selling to they're looking for that um reducing the friction the biggest thing that s grind really helps do is reduce friction it does help with food release as well but more than anything it helps with reducing friction uh so that means when you're cutting up and getting up into thicker part of the cross section of the blade you're almost running into no material so you're only really doing the cutting work with the first maybe inch or so of the knife down by the cutting edge um so there's no drag when you're cutting through yeah so you're reducing the drag dramatically 
and, but still with like a with, with a workhorse style geometry like John uh, like Don Wynn's John Wynn. It sounds like I'm trying to say John Wayne. Um, it's still you know it's a great geometry that it still is going to blast through food all day. Still be super comfortable. The friction. I, in my experience, I you know I've used his knives to cut through sweet potatoes, uh, which is a pretty dense root vegetable, uh, or tuber, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, uh, and it cuts beautifully. I love it. And so, um, it I don't know too many uh, Don John. Fuck, I can't talk right now. Uh, <laughs> Je- Jeff and I have talked about this before uh, with our friend uh, Tim, uh, Tim Musig about you know JB Prince. What's What's the best chef's knife? What's the best chef's knife? And it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it really just depends. It just depends on how you use the knife and what you're looking for. Um, but geometry, I think, just to go over my geometry, I think it it doesn't get above fifty thousandths of an inch on my knives until about halfway up the or half inch, half inch to five eighths of an inch up the blade from the cutting edge. Um. Mm. And then at the cutting edge, it's about five thousandths of an inch before I sharpen, um, because of the way I heat treat my blades. Uh, I like that just that little bit of extra meat, and but it just yeah, it cuts yeah. great. Okay, okay. And what about the um, the physical attributes, if you like, of a handle? I mean, there, there's so many different types. And again, sure. to, to to bring Toma back in from Florentine on this documentary he had this week. He mentioned that he really doesn't care about ergonomics of a handle. And mm. I completely understand that because, you know, you're going to use a knife in many different ways, sure. particularly in the kitchen, you know. Um, so, so what do you feel about sort of, you know, super sculpted stuff? Or I've seen a lot of sort of faceted handles at the moment as well. What are your thoughts on them for two of you? Um, I'll jump in really quick again, uh, hopefully really quick. Uh, so for me, the ergonomics and, and the sculpt, the level of sculpting on a handle – um matters a lot because that's the relate that's where the relationship with the blade is i can understand where you know the blade's the business end that's the more important part but if you don't want to hold on to the knife like what's the point of having a shitty handle i think the mine are highly sculpted but i don't i i go to an extreme uh end of the spectrum for sculpting handles i think a lot of people you can actually get i've felt a lot of handles that feel really nice and comfortable um with maybe like a quarter inch radius around the the shape of the handle it doesn't have to be crazy uh contoured it's i think that's just my own thing and then when it comes to faceted um i I, you know i've started using i've been using the faceted for a couple years now on knives and they are surprisingly uh comfortable and again it comes to kind of getting rid of anywhere there might be potential hot spots and essentially that's like a sharp corner rubbing on your hand and making things uncomfortable but as long as you do that i think that's great i like simplicity i like well for my i i i'm not sentimental so i i really try to really make something on the simple side and you know, easy to go with. And I've been changing my handles for a long time. And back in the day when I first started, I was making these big, thick, heavy handles. And as time goes on, I go smaller and smaller and smaller. And I just try to make them very simple. I've changed my handles to the point where I think that they're comfortable uh, holding in a pinch grip and holding in the slicing grip. And I don't, I just kind of try to make it very simple. I I, I want people to, you know, put their hand around it, but I, I don't, 
I go for simple. And and then I what I do like to do is a um I do like to uh for my when I do the kind of wah style handles, I do like that octagon and it brings me back to when I used to make, you know, with my forging hammers. I liked the octagons for what was that? Oh, sorry. Sorry, carry what on. What was that? It was it, were, <laughs> what the fuck was that? You shooting laser guns over there? I well, it's, it's, that came from you. What was that? It did. It's a bit of a jingle. It's a bit of a jingle. Oh, we got one coming up. Another we got jingle. One well, Here comes another jingle. Yeah. So octagons for the wassail handles done. That's it. <clears throat> excellent. That's it. Excellent. And if anybody wants, you know, there's lots of answers there in the forum. So if. It, <laughs> if anybody is more concerned about you know handle stars that kind of thing jump on the forum lots of great answers um this half an hour show is is over an hour already All so right. we're just going to pop through two more sections Where really is, quickly you're going to put a jingle in Craig's oh. community showcase oh my god <laughs> this is too much that's something. what you were, you're, you're, you know, so this is the that great is part. Something. When when I was talking, you obviously had your finger over it and you I had did. your finger over it and you were ready to touch it. And then all of a sudden you accidentally did, didn't you? Driving the desk, man. Jeez. Driving the desk. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just going to be a very quick weekly thing of um, a community showcase. So we've all got these, these platforms where we can show our work. Um, but occasionally I come across somebody who's got great, great work. And they just don't seem to have the followers or, you know, they don't seem to be recognized by the communities for, for the great work they're doing. So today's um, is actually he's a French guy. I've never met him. Just come across his stuff on Instagram. So it's Michel Greeny. So his his handle there is Michel. So it's M-I-C-H-E-L um, underscore Greeny, G-R-I-N-I underscore Couteau with an X on the end. Nice. Um, and he makes these amazing, amazing folding knives. So over here in France, folding knives, you see, you see them everywhere, Laguioles and Tiers and Perigord knives. They're everywhere and they're beautiful. But this guy's stuff is just another level. He has these amazing hammons on them. Um, and he just doesn't seem to be recognized in any way. Um, so if you just Google Michel Greeny um, knives, um, you're going to see them. Is he on Instagram? He is, yeah. Michel underscore Greeny underscore Couteau. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. So go and follow him. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes as well, so you can go straight there. But if you think there's anybody within the community you think isn't being recognized for the amazing work they're doing, let me know, and we can just highlight them on the show. Nice. I just went Craig's and followed him. Community followed him. showcase. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> just like that one, So right? that means... That means we've both had our own little section. Yeah. So that means there's there's one left. Oh, no. There's one left. We've got one more jingle to go. Oh, no, not it. another jingle. Go ahead. Morocco's <laughs> Road to Damascus. Road to Damascus. Wait a second. Was that a fart in the beginning? It sounded, like, it sounded, it sounded like a, a little bit like some tooting. And can I ask you a question? Was that your wife? Sure. Was that your wife? It was. Oh. It was. So she's been roped in. So let's just get be this thing clear. She's just out of the hospital, two months bed rest. <laughs> you stick a microphone in front of her face, and you said, "Love, would you mind if recording Mareko's Road to Damascus?" And she has to say, "Yeah, well, that's what I, this is what I signed on for." She needed direction. There's a lot of direction there. Oh, I bet there was. I bet there was. Mareko's. Um, it's this poor woman your poor wife has to deal with your nonsense all right go ahead okay so marco's road to damascus uh i actually i want to stick with this kind of uh hammer 
thing that we've been talking about today. Yeah. And um, and I actually think I'm. This is the first time we've done this segment. I'm already going to change it. I'm going to change it uh, <laughs> to no uh, problem. No notes of notes to a young knife maker. Um, oh, and that way, a new jingle. Oh, we need, we need a new jingle. Oh, I can't wait. Great. I look forward oh. to it. All right, Amy, so notes. Amy, you're you're gonna get roped in again. Yeah. <laughs> so notes to a young knife maker. Essentially, these are kind of like pointers and tips that um, I've I've thought of. Like, if I had to hire somebody, or if I or when I do hire them, like what kind of pointers and tips do I have? Also, I get tons of people asking me questions about where to start and all that kind of stuff. And we've all kind of talked about that before. But this t- hmm. to stick on kind of the hammer discussion that we had um, and forging, um, I, I get a lot of people asking about where to start forging, blah, 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 uh, take classes and stuff like that. And forging is great, but it's also extremely difficult. And I actually encourage people to start with stock removal because what's more important for a knife is that it's well ground rather than if it's forged or not because especially if you're new it could be uh some of the stuff you damage that you could do to the steel by overheating it or hitting it too cold or all kinds of stuff can happen um when forging i think forging i'm not saying don't forge ever but i advise people to start with grinding and i think the reason i like people starting with stock removal and learning how to grind blades is because it actually gives you a target at which to shoot for when you do Hmm. start forging. So it's easy to actually take forging sometimes too far or not enough. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done after you're done forging or there's not enough material left after you're done forging. But if you start with stock removal, you have, it gives you a concept and idea of where you want to be aiming for when you actually do start forging, when it comes to the actual shape, what kind of cross-sectional thickness you're looking for, if you're going to do uh, kind of like a brute-to-forge finish on the blade, how far to take that before just kind of leaving that area and grinding through the rest of it. Um, so today's note to Young Knife Maker, uh, you know, if you've already started forging, good for you. If you haven't started, um, I would advise, and it's not just young, like anybody new to the craft, essentially. Um, I would advise... Get on a grinder with a piece of steel and practice some grinding first, and that'll give you an idea of where to go when you start forging. There you go. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ooh. Morocco's think... note to a knife maker. <laughs> do. 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 <laughs> I, think, I think that's a show. I think we've got a good show there. So... Um, again, um, jump on the forum if you've got any more questions for next week. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Even Heat. Um, and next week, we actually have an offer um, for anybody looking to buy an Even Heat. Mm. We've teamed up with one of their distributors, and we'll be able to get you some a, a very healthy discount on a new Even Heat kiln. Um, so make sure you listen next week for those details. Um, is that it? Do you think we've covered everything? I mean, how much more can we go? Oh, well, exactly. We could go a lot longer, but, you know, you only have so many jingles, right? Exactly. Well, I can do as, I can do as many jingles as you I like. I bet you can. You're going to be sending me jingles all week. Ah, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> Irritated, baby. Outrage. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. 
but nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.